Every um, week we seem to uh, recognize something among us that you are doing that is extraordinary. Uh, Two Sundays ago we saw so many people that were baptized. Last Sunday, Father, we received uh, 20 new members into our fellowship. And today, to see our youth uh, confirmed has, has touched our hearts deeply. And we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing among us. And now, Father, as we open the word of God, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We're continuing our series of messages on the parables of Jesus, finding direction, the parables of Jesus. Can you... Think of the last time that you were caught. I mean, your face flushed, your heart raced, and you thought, oh no, someone has just seen the real me. Well, that's happened to me many times in my life, but the time that I remember the most distinctly was shortly before uh, I confessed to my family and to my church my gambling addiction in 1997. Uh, I was in a casino in, on a Tuesday afternoon when I should have been in my office at Roseville Covenant Church. And as I was uh, walking through the blackjack table area, my eyes locked in on another man, another covenant pastor. And as we locked eyes, there was this recognition, this shame, and this fear All at once, in both of our eyes, we quickly looked away and walked the opposite direction. Um, Never have I felt so embarrassed and shamed as I did that day. But immediately my mind went into um, defense mode. What kind of a story do I need to make this look okay? And so I ran through several scenarios. Uh, What if he tells my wife or... What if he tells the church? And so I came up with several ideas, things that I might do. One was the the old classic, uh, he's lying. You know, he's lying. I I wasn't there. Uh, You know, I was was somewhere else. Uh, Another thought I had was a preemptive strike. Um, I'll call him up on the phone and say, I won't tell if you won't tell. Another thought was this. um, And I've heard many of you use this same excuse. You may not have a gambling addiction, but I've heard you use this excuse. Well, I just go there for the buffet. You know, I I don't really go there to gamble. I I just go there for the buffet. I I might have used that excuse. Um, I might have also said that, um, uh, you know, kind of defiantly, you know, it's none of your business what I do with my spare time. I was saying that constantly in my own mind to the church, but maybe I needed to say that to that other covenant pastor. Another thought I had was maybe I could just say that, well, you know what? I was, I was witnessing to the blackjack dealer. And, um, I mean, she didn't respond to me, but I was bearing witness to Christ to the blackjack dealer. And, and then the classic one I could have used. Um, no, he was mistaken. Um, it must have been someone who looked like me. You get the point. Um, whether you're a child or an adult... When confronted with our own guilt, we become incredibly creative. In fact, when we're confronted with our own guilt, uh, you see this in children, but we do this as adults as well. We're just much more refined at it. 
We have this persistent, relentless sense in us that rolls up and says, I did not do that. The famous President Clinton quote, I did not have sex with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. We are all guilty of that at different levels, whether we say it out loud or think it in our minds. Which brings us to today's parable from the Gospel of Luke. Now, this is probably Christianity's least favorite parable. It's the most difficult to understand. It's the most difficult to draw connections to. And uh, it, it's something that most Christians just say, I don't get it, so I'm just not going to deal with it. Well, as you know, in our church, we try to deal with everything that the Scripture does and at least figure out what it's trying to say to us today. This is the parable of the shrewd steward or the dishonest manager. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. That will be our text today, the first 13 verses. It's also printed in your sermon notes and we'll put it up on the screen. This is a parable of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. And then he thought, and he said, I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400 barrels of olive oil, gallons of olive oil. Then he asked a second debtor. And how much do you owe, my master? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, verse 8, this is amazing. And this is where you're going to go, huh, what, what just happened? Okay, listen. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As you can see, there's all sorts of problems with this parable. Is Jesus saying that it's okay to cheat? To be dishonest? Now, if I were writing this parable, probably you would say the same thing. I would have a different ending. Maybe an ending that you see in some of other Jesus parables. I would have an ending such as, this dishonored steward decides to come clean. And he bears his heart, and he confesses his sin, and he admits to all that he has done wrong. Now that's how I might have ended this parable. Or, 
the dishonest manager might have gone to all of those debtors and, and, and repaid the debts that he had, he had forgiven on behalf of his manager or his owner. Or maybe that uh, dishonest steward would go and forgive some personal debts of people that he knew to kind of make up for his despicable acts. Or maybe he just shows a little bit of remorse and humility. And, and, and I would say to this, this, this parable, and I would almost say to Jesus something like this, you've got to give me something here, because <laughs> I'm not getting it. You, you've got to give me something, some kind of understanding that uh, shows the possibility of grace and, and repentance and, and forgiveness. But, but Jesus offers no such thing. Jesus uh, offers an ending Instead, that I would call the big sting. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the movie uh, The Sting, Robert Redford and, and, uh, and Paul Newman, and how that by the end of that movie, if you remember it, um, everybody was kind of cheering for the characters, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And then you forget that these guys are crooks. <laughs> the whole time they're crooks. They're just bilking other crooks. And, but you're cheering for them and you're feeling good about that. That's kind of what this story is about. We're, we're kind of cheering for the, the big sting. The guy that's very shrewd. And we're kind of celebrating him. And that's what Jesus seems to do. So this shrewd manager cuts every bill significantly, some in half, for giving significant amounts of debt. And he's saying, now, if I do this, these debtors are going to be grateful to me. They're going to be, they're, they're, they're going to be beholding to me. And so if I come up with, uh, if I need a place to live or if I need a job, maybe they'll say, okay, I'll, I'll take care of you. Or he thought maybe um, if I involve these debtors in the crime, uh, then I've got some potential blackmail if I need something down the road. Uh, maybe he said to them, if I scratched your back, now you need to scratch my back, And he maybe even whispered to them something like this. I, I would hate to think that the master found out how that you defrauded him. Now, at this point, the hopeful reader, you and I, we're waiting for Jesus to tell us why uh, this is the most despicable thing imaginable someone could do. And how the manager is going to be cast into outer darkness and he's going to be uh, in the hottest corner of hell. And that's kind of the way we think this is going to happen. Or at least, at the very least, he's going to do some jail time, right? That's kind of what we're thinking. Instead, shockingly, Jesus says the master compliments this shrewd steward, this dishonest manager. He is somehow impressed with what he has done now, I don't like this parable at all. I like parables that are neat and tidy. Um, I like movies that end well. I like the good guys to win over the bad guys. And, and I, that's why I don't like this parable. But seldom does Jesus make things neat and tidy. I mean, how many times did he say things that make you just go... Wow, where, where did that come from? I mean, you read it in John 8, you read it in Luke, or excuse me, Matthew 8 and other places in the Gospels, how that Jesus says some things that just make you kind of cringe. What does that mean? You know, said, uh, one of the disciples said, you know, I want to follow you, but first uh, I want to go and say goodbye to my family. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, no. <laughs> no, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Or, or the guy that said, you know what, my dad just died, i got to go bury my dad. Once I bury my dad and we have a funeral awake and all that, then I'll come back and follow. He said, no. And we say, 
Who is this? What Jesus is saying in all of these things is, is it really costs your life to follow me. It's not easy. It's complicated. It's difficult. If you want to go the way of the world, if you want to go uh, downstream with the rest of the salmon, go right ahead. It's easy. It's fast. And you'll probably make a lot of money on your way. But if you want to go upstream, if you want to go my way, it's costly. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And it is very, very challenging. If you want to follow me, because Jesus said, I'm going the opposite direction of the world. I'm going this way. The world's going that way. If you go my way, you're going to be constantly in trouble, constantly bumping to other people. It's not going to be easy. How about that for the gospel? Believe that and you can come to Christ, right? And some of you are going, man, I'm going to go to a Catholic church next week. I've never heard anything like that. I'm going somewhere else. This is the truth of the gospel. Sometimes we make it so simple and so innocuous that it has no bite. But Jesus said, if you follow me, come and die every single day. Die to yourself. Die to your sins. Die to all of those things that you've come to believe matter to you. Die, die. Jesus said, if you follow me, that's what it's going to take. He says things that are challenging. He says things that are painful, even scandalous. But he almost never concerns himself with being nice. We like to, you know, we have this Warner Solomon picture of Jesus with long flowing blonde hair, you know, yeah, like that's going to happen right in the Middle East. Uh, uh, you know, a Jewish man, he probably had very dark hair. And, all, and we kind of have this picture of this nice Jesus holding a little lamb. And he does. And he holds you and he loves you. But we also have this picture of Jesus that says, no, no, you go that way. That's death over there. You go that way. That is death over there. It is a Jesus that says, here's the truth. I'm not going to hold it back. I'm not going to try and make it feel good to you. I want you to know the truth. You go this way. And the destruction that you will find is called eternal separation from God. It's called hell. You don't want to go that way. Go this way. That's the Jesus we find in this parable. Now, all the evidence gathered thus far would seem to suggest that this is not a nice parable. A crook who gets caught and not only does not repent, but continues to steal and wins the former employer's admiration. So what can this story teach us this morning, I, 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 as I was reading through this and studying and praying about it, I came up with about 10 different lessons. I said, that's not going to work because it's Confirmation Sunday. And, you know, and, we, and so I, I found really three things that I want to share with you this morning. Not all the things. You're not going to hear everything in that parable. But three things that uh, I believe uh, uh, are lessons that this text su- suggests. And the first one is this. The sons of darkness are wiser in their own way than the sons of light. Look at verse 8. The master commended the honest man, dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So shortly after I confessed my gambling addiction, I started a counseling relationship with um, the assistant superintendent of the Northwest Conference, Jim Sundholm. And uh, when we were first talking and I was kind of getting all this poison out of me, uh, Jim said, give me an idea of how much energy it took for you to get to the casino, let's say on a Thursday afternoon. And I said, well, it was very complicated. I had to make sure that my secretary didn't 
understand really what I was going. I was vague enough so she didn't know what I was doing. I had to make sure that if I did say I was going to go somewhere, that if that person was checked with, that somehow they would say, yeah, he was here. I had to make sure that Sherry thought that I was somewhere. Even when my clothes smelled of smoke, and everybody knew I didn't smoke, you go to the casino, especially back in those days, and you came out reeking of, of, of cigarettes. And I had to figure out... That some, we had one woman in our church, a, a shut-in, who smoked. And if it had been true, she would have had like 200 visits, you know, every week from me. Well, I'm going to see Mrs. So-and-so. And, oh, that's why you smell like smoke. And so I had all these elaborate schemes and these things, and it was exhausting, and I hated myself, and I felt terrible, and I felt dirty and awful. But Jim said, now, and I explained some of that to him, and he said, now, what kind of ministry, what kind of ministry would you have if you put all of that energy, that ingenuity, that shrewdness, that passion in your work at Roseville Covenant Church. What kind of a church would it be then? That's the message of the shrewd steward. God says, I want you to take all of this passion and this energy that you spend and use in doing something dishonest and wrong and take that and use it for the kingdom. What then would happen in the kingdom of God? How would your life impact other people if you spent all the energy putting that to work in the kingdom instead of trying to cover your butt and trying to do things that make people see you look like you're better than you are and propping your image up? and All that stuff is so exhausting and you know exactly what I mean. God says, I want you to be that shrewd in doing things for the kingdom. That kind of single-mindedness. See, that shrewd steward was single-minded in saying, what am I going to do to cover my rear? What am I going to do to make sure I have a job and I'm not going to lose my life and my prosperity and all that? And he was single-minded, passionate about that. And Jesus said, I want you to be the same single-minded way and passionate way about your love for Jesus and your love for the kingdom. Would that transform the world? Brothers and sisters, it would change everything. It would transform everything. You could change the world. We call a Green Bay Packer fan who sits outdoors in December at Lambeau Field with no shirt on, a fan. And we talk about somebody who says, talks about Jesus and we call them a fanatic. What's wrong with this? Now, Jesus is not saying, I says, don't adopt the world's values, but adopt the world's passion. And their single-mindedness for what they believe will give them life, and it never gives them life. That's the first lesson we can learn from this amazing parable. The second lesson is this. A person's way of fulfilling a small task is the best proof of his or her fitness to be entrusted with a bigger task. Verses 10 and 11. Listen to this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So that if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? There was a, a guy that I met uh, years ago. Um, he was a worship pastor at Bayside uh, Community Church in Sacramento, which is the largest covenant church in our denomination. Lincoln Brewster is his name. You've heard of, uh, some of you have heard his name. Uh, he's a very famous worship leader and songwriter. A very talented young man. 
he told how that he came to Bayside when they were first starting the church and he asked if he could um, work in the music ministry. And they said, well, what can you do now? He was very talented. He had worked in, um, in the, the culture. Uh, he worked in popular music and was very popular. But he said, well, you know what I'd like to do? I'd just like to uh, maybe plug in some wires, uh, maybe help uh, lead sound. Uh, I'll sweep the floors, whatever you want me to do. And, and he was talking about, um, what I, I'll do anything I can to serve. Now, this was probably the most talented guy in the church. <laughs> a church of thousands, probably the most talented guy. And he said, what I, what I want to do is I just want to serve and I'll start at the bottom and I'll do that. And God looks at a guy like Lincoln Brewster and says, a guy with that much, that extraordinary talent, a guy that you would think would always want to be up on the stage, always showing off. That guy with that kind of extraordinary talent said, I'll sweep the floors. I'll do anything. And God says, when I can trust you in small things, then I'll trust you in big things. Some of you say, you know what? Uh, you know, when I was making $100 a week, it was pretty easy to give 10 bucks for a tithe. But now that I'm making, you know, $10,000 a week, you know, I can't give that kind of money to the church. And I remember a guy came into my office and had that kind of an argument. He said, you know, when I was making a little bit, I could give 10%. But now that I'm making a lot, I can't give that kind of money to the church. And I said, you know what, you're probably right. I'll pray. Let's pray right now. I'll pray with you. I'll pray that God will take you back to $100 a week. So, you know, so that you'll feel okay about it. You know what I'm saying? If God can trust you with a small thing, he said, I'll trust you with a big thing. There's another um, uh, lesson here that I want to mention just before we close today. And the third lesson is about forgiveness. Now, in the story, what, pre- what precisely does the shrewd steward do? <laughs> this is amazing. I'll tell you what he does. He forgives. Right? He forgives debt. Albeit without authorization, right? It gets kind of crazy. Albeit deceptively. But what he does is forgive. The manager forgives. Now, even as I was uh, preparing the sermon last uh, week, um, I, I thought I, I got a word from the Lord. And I'm not a, you know me, I'm not a charismatic, mystical kind of guy. But I thought the Lord really impressed on me something here. And it's this. This shrewd steward forgives debts that he has no right to forgive. He forgives for all the wrong reasons, some even per, for personal gain. He forgives debt. That's what he does. Now, we've looked at other things that this story tells us, that um, we're to be as shrewd in the kingdom as, as others are shrewd in life, and, and that we are to be faithful in small things, and then God will give us big things. But, but Luke's great theme throughout this whole gospel, and the, the theme in this verse is this, and, and I'll just say it plainly and simply. The theme is this, to forgive. Forgive it all. Forgive it now. Forgive for any reason you want, or for no reason at all, but forgive. The manager forgives debts. It doesn't matter to Jesus uh, that he's doing it in weird ways. What matters is that he is forgiving debts. He is relentless. He is single-minded. He is laser-focused on acts of forgiveness. Again, it doesn't matter why or under what circumstances, but he says, I just want you to forgive. Last October, many of you that know Sherry and I well personally know that we had this uh, conflict between us and our son and daughter-in-law. And no matter what we tried, it didn't seem to be able to get better. So finally, we all decided that we're going to meet in Jacksonville, Florida last October and just be in a room with a counselor. And we did that. And we don't know really what happened there. 
not that much happened. I'll tell you what did happen. We forgave. And we received forgiveness. And then we forgave some more. And we received some more forgiveness. And there was no finger pointing, no blame. There's not that kind of a thing. We just forgave. We said, okay, that's it. We just forgave. And the results of that are what we've experienced in the last six months. And the results of that is having our grandchildren stay with us when before they weren't allowed to. And it's about forgiveness. See, the manager at the end of the day um, forgave. And, And let me ask you this as we close this morning. What would it mean for you to be relentless in your pursuit of forgiveness? What would it mean for you to have that single-mindedness about forgiveness? Now, I know some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt terribly. You've been hurt deeply in your souls. I understand that. And some of those hurts have not been forgiven. They've not been repented of. And they're still out there. But what would it mean for you? Because remember, even if, if someone is not asking for forgiveness and yet you give it, it still frees you. It takes that burden off of you. Because if you don't forgive somebody, you're not hurting them. You're hurting you. It gives a root of bitterness. What would it mean for you to say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to pursue forgiveness relentlessly. I'm going to do it until I can't do it anymore. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive those who say, whether they're sorry or not. I'm going to forgive those who hurt me deeply. I'm just going to forgive. There's a woman, her name's Wendy, who was in my church in Roseville. And even though in 1997, I asked the congregation to forgive me, and I was sincere, And then three years later, before I came to Arizona, Sherry and I, to be the pastor at Hope Covenant Church, I felt like I needed to say I was sorry again after my healing. And so I went to the church again, and before the whole congregation, shared my apology and my my thankfulness for their mercy and their grace. But there were some, some people that just would not have it. Ten years later, at a midwinter conference, this woman is also a, a covenant pastor, Wendy came up to me and she said, Dwayne, I need to talk to you. And I thought, whoa, this is weird. I haven't, she hasn't talked to me for 10 years. And, and she said, I need to talk to you. She said, first of all, I need to tell you that I forgive you. And secondly, I need to ask you to forgive me for not forgiving you sooner. I have been in bondage for 10 years because I have refused to forgive. And I am so deeply sorry. What would it mean for you? to relentlessly pursue forgiveness. You think of somebody right now that you haven't forgiven. Maybe they've done you tremendous harm. Maybe they have not apologized. Maybe they have not made amends. But what would it be for you to pursue forgiveness with that kind of passion, that single-mindedness, that laser focus that frees you from the burden of carrying regret and unforgiveness and everything else? What would it mean for you to experience that. Ask God to show you how to forgive and to pursue that forgiveness absolutely, relentlessly. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, um, this is a weird parable. <laughs> and it, it's still confusing in a lot of ways, but there is so much power in this story that you've even given to us today as a gift, and I, I thank you for it. Father, the thing I want to leave with um, our people today is what you've just washed over me, and it's this. 
What would it mean for me today, now, this very moment, to identify someone that I have not forgiven, maybe for legitimate reasons, someone I have not forgiven, and to pursue relentlessly forgiving that individual? What would it do in my life? What would it do in their life? How would it change the kingdom? Father, my gift to our church today is this gift of forgiveness. Uh, You don't need to understand how or why. You don't need to have someone tell you they're sorry. You don't need to have someone repent of their sins. You simply need to say, I choose to forgive you as Jesus chooses to forgive us every single time we sin. So, Father, may that be a gift to each of us by the power of your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Apologize for the lateness of the hour, but I do want to welcome you into the gift of giving. And as our ushers come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings, we ask you to give generously and sacrificially to the work of the kingdom of God. Ushers.